All right, my friends, it's the midweeks. This is episode 31 of the book of Samuel. We're in chapter 29 of the book of 1 Samuel, and hopefully we'll line these things up a bit more in the future. We're going to tackle two chapters today because it's one long story. And we're in this scene where David is being told that he's about to go to war against Israel as a member of Achish's Philistine army. Remember in the last chapter, David was warned that he's about to go to war against Israel and the Philistines lined up to go to war against uh, Israel. And that's when Saul went to go and find a medium who would give him a prediction about what was going to happen. And he was told he was going to die. And now we're going to, we're done with Saul and we're going back to David and his experience as a part of the Philistine army. And we're going to see many things here. This is one of David's worst days of his life that we're going to be reading through, as well as a great rescue from God. And I'm hanging all this story around the one phrase where it says, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And this really is the the heart and the core of this story, is that David is being proven to be a man who strengthens himself in the Lord, where Saul was a man who was cut off from the Lord because of his unbelief, and God wasn't speaking to him anymore. David was a man who, in the midst of the worst time of his life, found the way to strengthen himself in the Lord. So we're getting a compare and contrast between these two kings, between Saul seeking comfort um, through a necromancer, and David being strengthened by worshiping his God. So without any further ado, chapter 29 of 1 Samuel. Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish, the commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? So there's a military parade going on as they're going to the battle line, and as you remember, there's multiple Philistine cities, each with their own king, and they've gathered together for war against Israel. And these other heads of cities have f- discovered that these Hebrews are amongst their soldiers going to battle with Israel. And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Isn't this David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years? And since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. So here's Achish, remember, he's been deceived by David. David's been doing raids against foreign countries, but saying that he was attacking Israel. And so Achish has been enriched, thinking it was from David attacking Israel. So this is just another day for Achish, where David's going to go attack Israel, but he's been deceived, and that's why he doesn't understand. It's funny when he says, I found no fault in him. It's like, yeah, well, you weren't really looking very hard. If you had looked, you would have found that there is fault, but you weren't looking, so you didn't see it. Doesn't mean it wasn't there. Uh, Verse Four, but the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back, that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to the, his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is not this David, of whom they sing the, to one another in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. So the Philistine commanders are being shrewd again. Remember when God was striking them 
with plagues at the beginning of this book, they were very shrewd. They saw that it was the hand of God and they sought to make reparations and they made the cart and the gold statues. And still, here are the Philistines being shrewd again. And they understand that um, David is a dangerous man. And even if he has up to this point been fighting against Israel, he could try to repair his relationship with Saul by um, betraying the Philistines in the midst of the battles. And then they remember this song that the people were singing about David and all his successes. And remember, this song was the one that drove Saul crazy with jealousy. But now that these people, it, this, the song had gotten out of Israel. It must have been a catchy tune. It was definitely top 40 stuff. The song has gotten out of Israel and into Philistia. And even the commanders know about this song about David's military successes. And so now they're they're worried. They remember that when David was striking down his tens of thousands, it was mostly Philistines that David was doing that against, and so they don't want David to go down. Verse 6, then Achish called David and said to him, as the Lord lives, you have been honest. That's not true. And to me, it seems right that you should march out in with me in the campaign, for I found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you, so go back now and go peaceably, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. So he's letting him go. And David said to Achish, But what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? Now remember last time we were talking about how Dave, David is kind of using duplicitous language. He's being ambivalent with his speech. So here... Akish hears this and hears the enemies of my lord, the king, and he assumes I'm the king he's talking about here. And he's thinking like, yeah, David wants to go kill Israelites. But the way it's phrased, David could be meaning that Saul is still his lord, the king. And he wants to go down and fight against the enemies of his lord, the king, which would be the Philistines. And so you kind of get the sense that David was planning on doing what the Philistines were worried that he was going to do. Excuse me, David was kind of thinking, well, I'll go down to battle with these guys, and at the right time, I'll turn against them. So they probably caught out David's actual plan that he was going to do, because up to this point, David had refused to fight against Israel. He wasn't fighting against Saul. He was not doing raids in Israel, and so it's probably true that he was going to do that. Verse 9, And Achish answered David and said, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said he shall not go with us to the battle. Again, all these interesting statements. He's been as blameless in his sight as an angel of God. Yeah, because he didn't see what David was actually doing. And so every time Achish talks about it, it's all like from my perspective and what I've seen and what I've known, but he hasn't seen everything. And this is where you get this irony of Achish being deceived. Verse 10, Now then, rise early in the morning, and the servants of your Lord who came with you, and start early in the morning, and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines, but the Philistines went up to Jezreel. So you get these departure, this departure. It's kind of humiliating for David. He's being publicly rejected, publicly shamed. On the one hand, he's being let off the hook from having to go into battle against Israel. So there's the providence of God there, but this is not like a high point in David's public popularity. But God's um, God's mercy was involved in this rejection. We're about to find out why. This is the beginning of chapter 30. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag, and they'd overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. 
So this is why it was actually really good that David gets rejected because if he hadn't gotten rejected and it stayed at Jezreel, he would not have come back in time to rescue people or to discover that his city had been raided. And so, and as I look at this, you know, we're seeing this from David's perspective. And I thought, how does he know that no one's been killed? Well, there's no bodies here. So they would have come and they would have seen all the burned stuff, but they would have said, we don't see any graves. We don't see any bodies. So there must have been survivors, but they're still really grieved. Verse three, and when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters taken captive. So how do they know that? They know that because they don't see any corpses. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. And David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the, his God, in the Lord his God. That's the key verse there. So it's, this is an almost unimaginably bad situation here. So David's been rejected by the Philistines, which means kind of his protectorate um, is under doubt is in doubt whether or not even after the battle the Philistines might turn around and say no David has to leave permanently so he's unsettled in whether or not he can stay there and then he comes back to his city in Ziklag and the thing's been destroyed which is bad and all of their family members have been captured and taken away which is bad and everyone is so upset that his soldiers who were following him a second ago are now talking about killing him kind of like what they would do to Moses back in the day when people were threatened but now they want to kill David because they're just so distraught over this loss this is all your fault you let us out there with the Philistines why didn't you leave some of us behind to guard the place this is all your fault you're a terrible leader all this stuff and how would you if you respond to David I know I would be very easily crushed by this situation so I just love it where it says but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God he, he, I don't, did he go away? Did he go pray? Did he begin singing songs? He found a way to lift his heart up to the Lord and not be destroyed by the situation or people's opinions. Verse seven, and David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me an ephod. And so Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So this is this method of communication. Remember, God wasn't talking to Saul by these kinds of things, but he is talking to David. This is a sign about the transfer of the kingship. David is receiving kingly instruction through a priest wielding the ephod. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and you shall surely rescue. So God now speaks and gives David a promise that you'll find the guys who did this and you'll get your people back. So David set out, and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook of Besor, where, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and 400 men, 200 stayed behind, who were too exhausted to cross the brook Besor. So here's this thing. They've already been traveling for three days before they found out that their city was destroyed, or on the third day they found out their city was destroyed. Now they have to go and chase after the people who destroyed their city, and up to this point, about one-third of the army can't go on, so they stay at this brook. This is going to become an issue a little bit later, but that's why they're telling us now. This is going to become an issue later, and that's why they're telling us now instead of just glossing over it. Verse 11, they found an Egyptian in the open country, brought him to David. So they gave him bread and he ate. And they gave him water to drink and they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he'd eaten, his spirits revived for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. So just as they're 
running on their way, kind of pursuing willy-nilly. Maybe they found some tracks or something like this. They find this guy who's passed out, which is interesting because that corresponds slightly to the 200 men who couldn't keep going on the track that David had left behind. And now here is somebody else that David finds who's been left behind. And he, he has been there for three days and three nights so essentially he was there pretty soon after the raid happened and remember it took three days for David to get home so this guy passed out on the way when David was sorry coming back to Ziklag it's all under the providence of God God's working these things out and David said to him to whom do you belong where do you come from he said I'm a young man of Egypt servant to an Amalekite and my master left me behind because I fell sick these three days ago so God let this guy fall sick essentially so that he could be helpful to David later on we had made a raid against the Negev of the Carathites and against that which belonged to Judah and against the Negev of Caleb and we burned Ziklag with fire and David said to him will you take me down to this band and he said swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me to the hands of my master and I will take you down so this is very providential that this guy gets sick and his master is cruel and just drops him and because David and his men aren't cruel and revive this guy He's able to give him insider information about where this raiding band lives so that David can get his people back. And so this is under God's providence. It was providence that God, David got sent home so he could go and rescue his people. It's providence that they found this guy who fell sick so that they could know exactly where to go. Verse 16, And when he had taken him down, behold, they were spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they'd taken from the Philistines and from the land of Judah. So they're not on guard. They're not protecting themselves. They're just in a revelry. And David finds them. And verse 17 says, And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. And not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. Which is interesting. How many people did David have? 400. How many people escaped? 400. That's all that's left. David res recovered all of the Malachites had taken, David, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought all back. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, This is David's spoil. So it's a great victory. They are now more enriched than when all this trouble happened. They got everybody back. Verse 21, Then David came to the 200 men who had been too, too exhausted to follow David and who had been left at the brook of Besor. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near, the people greeted them. So they're welcoming back all this stuff. Verse 22, Then all the wicked and worthless men, fellows amongst the men who had gone with David, said, Because they didn't go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. So I'm not sure exactly why, but they're really bitter against these guys. And that can happen, right? People can be bitter against people who are perceived as lazy or not doing their fair share. So they want to keep the spoil. They say, oh, they're being generous. You can have your family back, but they want to keep the spoil. But David said, You shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hands the band that came against us. So here's David again seeking the Lord or bringing the Lord into this to settle a dispute. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down to the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. And they shall share alike. And he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. Now, this this is generous and good, but... In one sense, one of the reasons why Ziklag got toasted is because they didn't leave some men behind, right? David took all of his 600 men to the battle with the Philistines. If he'd left some men behind, Ziklag would have been spared. And so it's almost like this is a 
military wisdom thing that from now on some people will stay back behind with the baggage in order to protect it because if your baggage gets stolen you're usually dead and so David institutes this policy of treating the guardians of the stuff that's left behind as well as the people who go into battle as equals and that's just good wise military craft from now on Verse 26, we're almost done. When David came to Ziklag, he sent part of the spoils to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, Here's a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. For it was those in Bethel, in Ramoth of the Negev, in Jatir, in Aror, in Sifmoth, in Eshtemoa, in Rakal, in the cities of the Jeremelites, in the cities of the Kenites, in Hormah, in Borashan, in Athak, in Hebron for all the places where David and his men had roamed. So do you remember a lot of these spoils were stolen from Judah that the Amalekites had taken and so David going and winning it back he's now taken from the largesse of the spoils and he's giving it back to to uh, Judah and especially to the places where when he was hiding from Saul he was going to all these different places so these places probably sheltered him or protected him somewhat and now he's giving this gift back to them which is just reminding us of the time that David spent in Israel running away from Saul because in the next chapter Saul is going to be dead and so this foreshadows David returning back to Judah as a hero and as a gift giver and as actually being received by some people as king and it's interesting that they mention Hebron in verse 31 because that's where David's going to set up his kingdom first when he comes back to Israel and then eventually in Jerusalem so we have all these cities of David we have Ziklag which David lives in but is destroyed and then they come back and then we have Hebron mentioned which is going to be where David lives next and then he'll be in Jerusalem which is going to be known in perpetuity as the city of David. But this is a terrible time for David and a great demonstration of God's rescue. To come home and find out that everything you've had has been burned or stolen um, and that now your own friends want to kill you, that is a bad day. But because David chooses to strengthen himself in the Lord, he doesn't turn to sin like Saul does. Um, God reveals that his hand of providence was with David and instructs him to go and pursue, not to like stay still and die, but to go and pursue these guys. And then in the hand of providence, he's got that Egyptian there willing to give him instructions on where to find these guys. And so God shows his faithfulness to David, even in the midst of this terrible time, and secures him so that he can become the king of Israel. Because in the next chapter, Saul the current king is going to die.